Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Uh, We're in our second week of the series called Bold. Last week, we saw how God created this bold, extraordinary world and how our trajectory of life changed when Adam and Eve chose to bring sin into the world. And then we saw all of the things that happened. Today, in our second week, we see what happens to their children. Now, uh, most of us are familiar with the Incredible Hulk, right? I mean, the dude that's a scientist, something weird happens, and so now when he gets angry, you know, he busts out of his shirt. For some reason, his pants fit, but beside all that, he turns into a green dude, and he doesn't want to be that guy. He's turned in the guy he doesn't want to be. And you see, this is what anger does to us. And so anger really is, it's a picture of one thing that we learn a lot about in Genesis chapter 4. You see, God created this bold, extraordinary world and called us to live and worship boldly. And so when you look at Genesis chapter 4, it's the story of the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. All right, so in Genesis chapter 4, just jump in here with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. And uh, let's pick it up in... uh, kind of halfway through verse 2. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So we got one guy a shepherd, one guy a farmer, right? So Cain is the farmer, Abel is the shepherd. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. Let's read that again. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And why, this is really fascinating here, Cain was very angry and his face fell. For some of your translations it says his countenance changed. So picture this, I bring this offering and God says, keep it, what do you do? Are you with me? I mean, it's just kind of got that, the whole countenance changes. He goes from being someone who's checking off a box and bringing an offering, and God says, keep it. We're going to learn why in a minute, but what does Cain do? At that point, I mean, his whole countenance changes. Everything changes in his life. And so we go on, and we see the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So in other words, God says to Cain, I've given you the ability to overcome this temptation of sin. You've got to, you've got to take hold of me and stay with me. Otherwise, it's crouching, waiting on you. Sin is the 100-pound gorilla that wants to jump on your back and own you. And he's giving us this picture of what's happening to Cain. In verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay, this is the first murder in the Bible, first murder in the history of mankind. And it all started because he had an anger problem, but that really wasn't his problem. He had a worship problem. You see, what happened was a result of the motivation and the heart with which he brought the gift. So let's look on down a little bit further. And so we'll go to verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. And then God goes on, and, and Cain is frightened, and he's angry, and he's ticked off. But it all started at a point of worship. So to put this in perspective, the two brothers, one the farmer, one the shepherd. Abel, the shepherd, brings the best of his lambs. He brings the best, the fat. He brings the good stuff. Abel brings the one thing that cost him greatly, and he offers that up to the Lord. And so the picture the Bible gives us is that Cain, he brought an offering, but he brought a motivation that wasn't entirely built on love and sacrifice. He brought something, but it cost him nothing. What the Bible is teaching us here is that the problem was murder happened because we didn't have a heart for God. Murder occurred because we didn't have a proper worship and awe and reverence of a holy and a righteous God. I mean, we hear it around here all the time. We'll say, if we get our relationship with Christ right, we'll get everything else right. I mean, Chuck, why don't you preach on social issues? Why don't you tackle the issue in Charleston? Listen, if that kid had had his relationship with Christ right, this wouldn't have happened. But I want to show you, those families who responded in grace and love, clearly they had their relationship right. And you see, we see in Cain and Abel two pictures. We see both bring in offering, both of them really from all, all points. You'd say that, that's an acceptable offering. But God knew the heart. You know, I wonder at times when we come to church if it's the motivation or are we just checking a box? You say, well, Chuck, I come here and I give. Well, let me just say to you, according to this, God doesn't need your money if your motivation, your heart's not right. You say, well, Chuck, I come and serve, and I'm a deacon, and I serve in four-year-olds. and I. But God's saying that counts for zippity-doo-dah if your heart's not right. You say, well, Chuck, I work hard around this church. I, I help found this church. I give to this church. And God says, but if your heart's not right, it counts for nothing. Cain came, and he brought something that cost him nothing, and God said, keep it. Abel brought the best because it cost him something. It sacrificed, and he brought it. I was 13 years old living in Daytona Beach, Florida, and Christmas time was coming around, and I wanted a 10-speed bicycle like nobody's business. My dad had just the year before sold everything he had and went from having a pretty successful political and business career and moved us back to Florida and started working as a, as a pastor on a, on a church staff at First Baptist Daytona. And um, when we did, his salary went to like maybe 25% of what he was making. And that year, I remembered the brutality of trying to fall into a new way of life. And so what I wanted more than anything for that Christmas morning, I wanted a 10-speed bicycle. As a matter of fact, I knew exactly which one I wanted. But I remember the night my dad walked in about three or four days before Christmas. He sat down on the edge of my bed. My, my dad didn't cry hardly ever. Uh, dad had a pretty hard edge on him. And he reached over and he patted me on the leg and he said, Son, there'll be no 10-speed bicycle this year. Dad just doesn't have it. And I can be honest with you, I, I wish I could say, I could say, oh, Daddy, that's okay. But, man, I, I was ticked because, you know, I wanted, I wanted for me. It was all about me. Christmas was about what I could get. I woke up on Christmas morning, and I decided I'm going to be a mope-a-dope and kind of hang my head and come down the stairs. And when I turned the corner, I saw a brand-new 10-speed bicycle sitting next to the tree. To this day... It took a while, but I began to realize my dad sold everything he had to buy me that bicycle. 
to this day, it was one of the greatest gifts I ever received because I knew it cost him something. There were plenty of other kids whose dads could go buy anything they wanted, but you know, it, didn't, it didn't cost them something. I knew my dad had sold stuff that really mattered to him so that he could give his boy what he wanted. God looked at our world. He looked at Cain and Abel. And he said, Cain, I know your heart. And what you're bringing me costs, me, costs you nothing. You keep it. He looked at Abel and he received it. Scripture gives us this picture here that... Um, Moses, who's writing this, is teaching us about worship. It's not about murder. It's not even about anger. Those things happen because we didn't have a heart for worship. Cain didn't bring a heart for worship. He didn't, he didn't offer to God the best. We come in a room like this, we raise our hands or we sing. And you know, at times, you know what we do, and it's just kind of the American pastime in church. We leave, and while we get in the car and we're riding home or where we're going to eat or whatnot, and the question is, boy, the music was too loud. The music was too fast. I didn't know the music. The preacher went too long. He sweats too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and then we're going to send him a note. We're going to blister him, and you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I think God looks at all that and says, why did you come? God's saying, I'm the picture it's, this is not about Sam. This is not about Becca. This is certainly not about Chuck. It's about me. God says it's about me. When you come, bring, bring me your heart. Bring me your whole heart. Don't, don't bring that weak junk in here. Bring me your whole heart. He looks at motives. I really believe motive, motive is a big deal. By the way, um, this is something that this scripture reveals about you and I. You know what it says? It teaches us that sin shows itself in abundance based on what we give back to God. Sin shows itself in abundance by what we give back to God. So if God has blessed you richly, you know what he wants? He wants you to worship him richly. If you've got nothing, he wants you to bring him what you've got. Listen, God doesn't care about the zeros on the check. God cares about your heart. I would just ask you, what, what are you doing to give your heart back to God. I mean, it's one of those huge ahas. Jesus, in the New Testament, he, he was teaching the Pharisees, and, and these were the religious elite of the day. Jesus basically came and wiped out religion. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad you attend a church that we kind of zapped religion and got it out of there? I mean, just, just Jesus, he's enough. That's it. Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said in Matthew 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen, what Jesus is saying is when you come here to worship, when you offer something to worship, when you offer your service, when you offer your money, when you, when you offer your time, when you offer hands raised, when you offer a song that's sung, Jesus is saying, I know the motive of your heart, and when it's not good, you're not even getting to the ceiling of this building. But when your heart is right, it blows the ceiling off. God's saying this is a big deal. As a matter of fact, Cain gets angry with God instead of trying to rely on that. Have you ever noticed that when somebody kind of points out your faults, the first thing you do is get defensive? I'm really good at it. You know, it's just, Chuck, you did this, and Chuck, you did that, and the first thing I want to do is come up with a reason. But you know what God's saying to Cain is, listen, I'm going to give you a chance here to make this right, change your heart, change your attitude. I mean, I, I got asked by one of the students down at camp this week that basically said, uh, Pastor Chuck, if you could change anything in your life, what would you change? And I said, I would adjust my attitude much quicker so that I could be and act and live more like Christ because I have become a jerk in most of my adult life and I've earned a PhD in being a jerk. And if I could learn to be gracious and kind, if I could learn to have the attitude of Christ sooner, you know what would have been awesome for me? That it really would have changed my life. 
But you know, the cause of God's rejection of Cain's offering leads us to that response. What does it say? His countenance fell, his face fell. And so you look at this and you say, well, how do we respond when God says no? What happens when we do that? I mean, when God convicts us and we deal with the sin in our lives, how do we respond? Do we respond like, like Cain? Or do we seek to make things right? Or do, do we come before the Lord in worship and confession with a humble and contrite heart? Or do we pout? Do we get ticked off? Do we just come to church and put a check mark on there and say, well, I kind of did my church thing. It's good. So God pursues Cain, and he offers him three questions in Scripture. He says, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And if you do well, won't you be lifted up? God's trying to extend mercy here. As a matter of fact, in verse 7, the Lord says, and if you do well, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desire for you, but you can master it. God's saying, you can do this. You can do this. Go ahead and do this. So, so God pursues Cain, and God wasn't pleased with Cain and his offering. And those three questions kind of demonstrate that he was more, more, radically more displeased with his response. But this is where we see the grace of God extending for you and for me. This is where we see it happening in such an amazing way. A huge reminder that, that we have to have this motive checkup. I mean, if our heart is wrong, then our offering is wrong. If our offering is wrong, our, our, our worship is wrong. Cain directs his anger, jealousy, hatred towards his brother, takes his brother's life. And you look past that and you say, Cain begins this sinful note by lying to God. I mean, here's, here's what happens. Little old Cain tells an omniscient, powerful God that he doesn't know where his brother Abel is. I mean, if, if I was on ESPN for a replay, I'd say, come on, man. I mean, how do you come up with that? You see... This is a great lesson, and this is tweetable. Secret sin on earth, secret sin on earth when you try to hide it from God is open scandal in heaven. God knows the motive of our heart, and that's what he wants. God's no more concerned about whether you write a check or not based on your heart, whether you serve in children or students or preschool based on your heart, whether you're an usher or a greeter based on your heart, whether you help the person behind you with a cup of coffee based on your heart. All Cain cared about was himself. Everything was just like me on my 13th Christmas. It was all about me. There was no reverence for God. There was no regret for a loss of innocent life, no sorrow for sin, no brokenness from that. It was just all about Cain. And then in verse 15, we look at this. It says, the Lord speaks to Cain again. God continues to demonstrate grace and compassion, even to Cain. The Lord gave Cain a sign before judgment was carried out. It's just like the Lord. I mean, on Later in this passage, God says to Cain, I'll put a seal on you, and nobody can mess with you. I mean, even God is extending grace and mercy over and over and over again. And here's a great lesson that we learned from Cain and Abel, this big, bold lesson on how we can live this life. And it's this, God's treasured process is always mercy before judgment. God's treasured process is always, I want to offer you mercy before judgment comes. I mean, aren't you glad we're not God? I mean, can you imagine the people you would have zapped this week? I mean, seriously, I know some folks, if I'd had a lightning bolt, it'd been bam, you know? I mean, that guy who cut me off on PIB and then slowed down to hit his life, bam, 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 you know? I mean, we would be zapping people, wouldn't we? And what does God do? I want to extend mercy. I want to extend grace because I love you. But, you know, if you're going to force me into judgment, I'm going to let you feel that wrath because I want you back in my life. God's process is always mercy before judgment. The picture here is there's no sin so big 
that the mercy and the grace of Jesus can't forgive. God was still wanting to extend mercy even after the murder. But like Cain, it's our choice. We get to pick. And what I've discovered is oftentimes the way we choose to pick things is what's best for us without a whole lot of thought about what might be the Lord asking us to do something. When I read Juliana's story last night, I thought to myself, this little girl is searching for purpose. God, would you give me purpose and clarity in my life? She had a picture and an understanding that this, is, this was the right motivation. God, open up to me somebody I can pour my life in. And there was that little girl. And when that little girl said to her mom, Mommy, I gave my life to Jesus tonight. And her mom looked back and said, Me too. It's a picture of mercy and grace from a loving Heavenly Father that is so bold that he would shed his blood and let his body be broken that you might have forgiveness of your sin. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.